Good morning, church. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that we left up the night to shine decorations. And, um, you know, not just for those of you who may not have had a chance to see it, but also for the, for the little children. Because uh, they, they don't always get to come to this because there's, um, amazingly, you know, you'll be surprised, but under 14... Um, or under 10 or at a certain age, it's, it's hard. We, don't, we can't give nursery um, uh, service during an event like Night to Shine. But now they get to see what the decorations look like and maybe inspire them and encourage them to think about what they could do when they get a little older. Oh, it's just there's so much good that's happened just in one week if you stop and think about it. And um, John was so right in talking about the, um, the benefit of that of that renovated foyer out there, a simple thing like that, but it, it has, it has made a huge difference, and it reminded me too that I had to catch up on some of my pledges that I made, but I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad for the reminder, and I'm glad to be a part of it, and um, there's so many good things happening, and I want you, I want to tell you from my perspective, there are days in ministry where you're digging, you're digging deep just to find something good because you know that whatever good you mention, everybody knows that beneath the surface there's, there's turmoil or tension or there's some pain or there's some suffering or something like that. It's not like that this week. Uh, the good is spilling over. And, um, and, and yeah, and that's not to say that today may not be the best day for you. And, and, and we respect that, and we don't want to diminish that or dismiss that. But collectively, as a group, you think about how far we've come in just one week. I mean, just last week, last Sunday, we were all out here coming into this, uh, this lobby thinking that God had restarted the ten plagues of Egypt because of this horrible stench that was floating through the air. Uh, some of you have, uh, you know, who are say, let's, um, well, let's say that you've been getting the senior discount at Denny's for quite a while, if you know what I mean, and maybe you haven't run in as many years, but many of our uh, uh, older ones were running to get out of the stench, and uh, you know, and 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 for good reason because it was terrible, and I want to tell you a true story on that. The Tim Tebow Foundation gives us a, um, uh, uh, a support, and, and our, our support person is someone named Brooke, and Brooke is our number one prayer warrior, and this, this last week, I started out the week saying, Brooke, we need, a lot of, we need a lot of prayers, and I mentioned many different things that we really needed prayers over. There were some calamities, there were some threats, there were some things that were going on that was uh, going to be in the way. But one of them that was obvious to everyone, and it was even being covered on the news, was the stench. And I said, Brooke, I don't know if you've ever been asked to pray that a city smell better. But, but we were asking. And then the next day, the news came out that the leaders of Fort Smith had asked that company, hold off until Fort Smith Marathon. Thank you. And so uh, I told, Brooke was amazed, and we just kept saying, God is good. God is good. So many good things, not just with Night to Shine. Um, I promised his uh, wife that I wouldn't do too much to make a lot of attention about this or make him stand, but 
I can't help but acknowledge when someone's baptized, and David Bonneau was baptized this week, and so I'm really thankful for that. See? I, I mean, anyone that makes that decision, it's worth mentioning, but, you know, David, I didn't make you stand or anything, didn't do any of that, but since you didn't stand, someone will have to stand in your place, so Robert Benjamin, where are you? I'm going to make you stand up. Uh, no, I got a reason. That's Robert. I want you all to know Robert right there. Uh, yeah, you can clap for Robert. I don't know why, but you can. Um, listen, Robert is going to appreciate it a lot more if you will sign up for the men's retreat. Right, Robert? Uh, and, I, and I'm serious. Go to westark.org slash retreat. And um, that is going to be the first weekend in March. Uh, Robert has arranged to have Dudley Chancy come and teach uh, for this retreat, and uh, uh, that's a special thing. You can learn more about it, but westark.org slash retreat, if that um, still isn't working for you, go talk to Robert and offer to help him with the retreat. But men, I'd like to encourage you to come and be a part of that, even if you can just come out for part of the day on Saturday, uh, but definitely be a part of, of that retreat. And these are just some of the good things that are going on and continue to happen here. And so this, this season that we're in where we're just getting the year started and we struggle, it's almost like winter, we're just trying to survive, we're trying to get through life. And even if it's not this season right now, there will come other days where it'll be hard for us to press on. But we have to remember that the seasons change and that there is something to hope for, that there is something uh, that, that while well, God teaches us how to pray and his spirit within us prays for us. And today we want to look at the third part of this series where we realize that all things, God works in all things for good. And, and let me just read that right now. It's from Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. These three verses are part of this uh, full series that we've uh, been doing here on Romans 8. And I want you to watch for that little word, for, F-O-R. Paul writes to the Romans and says, We know that in all things God works for the good. For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now I should have warned you before we waded into these three verses that there are some uh, multi-syllable words here. And they are words that we don't use very often outside of the church or Bible context. And I want to back up, though, and show you uh, one of those is, of course, this magic word, predestined. Who talks like that? I mean, where do you ever use that word in any other context? We tend to think of it a lot when it comes to salvation or when it comes to God's will. Uh, really, what we tend to think of it as, and we don't say it and we don't use this language, is we tend to think of it as fate. Or we tend to think of it as God's um, irrevocable future plans that we must walk through like a rat walking through a maze. That's the negative side of it. There's a positive side of it 
that says that what it is is God's grace and what it is is God's uh, choosing and that he takes the initiative. Fair and well, and we can talk all about it, but really, where else do you use that term predestined? Predestined. And that's the NIV, and I like the NIV translation here. But notice where it breaks. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. And sometimes we do stop right there. But it continues. He also predestined, but it's very specific, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he, his son, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I really do want to make this simple for us. And it'll help if we go back and talk about what we know. Right here from reading Romans 8 and from the last two sermons, there are some things that we know. We know, and Paul uses that language, we know. He says, we know, first of all, that all creation, including us, we are waiting for the hope of being fully adopted as God's children. That means that we endure sufferings. That means that we can endure the, the, the things that we go through in this life that are not pleasant and the things that uh, really honestly make life a struggle because the future glory that we're waiting on is going to overwhelm all of that. Pain isn't going to get the last word. Sorrow is not going to get the last word. In Jesus Christ, the worst things never get to be the last thing. And everything bad becomes untrue. So we know that we're waiting for that hope. And that hope comes from being adopted as his children. We also know that we don't know how we ought to pray. And that it's a struggle to us. And it was very encouraging last week to hear a lot of you say, I, thank you, I really needed that, that sermon. And, and I'm glad and I hope it does encourage you to lean into prayer. To just go into it with wild abandon, knowing that, and here's the other part of it, that God knows the mind of the Spirit that He put within us. You know, I learned a great phrase this week. It's another reason that it's a, such a good week. Um, someone, I was talking to uh, um, someone, and he said, perfect is the enemy of good. Stop and think about that. Perfect is the enemy of good, and you can apply it in so many different situations. That sometimes we think that unless something is perfect, it is no good. Sometimes we do that with prayer. Sometimes we do that with our own discipleship and our own walk. We think that if we can't do it perfectly, then we've messed up. Paul is trying to tell people who are suffering, struggling, trying to get through, that look, you trust that God has the power, and if if he has put that mind of the Spirit in you, he will search your heart and knows. Just keep striving. Finally, what we know is we know what we read here in this verse. We know that God works in all things for good. Now, depending on what translation you have, either all things work for good or God works in all things for good. I don't know that there's a lot of difference between their, those two, but sometimes it could matter. And if I had to tilt the needle one way or the other, I'm going to go with God works. Because that's 
I like that. Because if you say anything else, if you say all things work for good, then that, sound, that begins to sound like fate. In fact, it can lead to the idea that if you love God enough, then everything works out for you and you never suffer anything bad. And then when you do suffer something bad, you think, what, what's going on here? Has God abandoned me? Is God punishing me? Is God trying to teach me a lesson? God's taught just about all the lessons that he's ever going to teach. Uh, he's revealed everything to us. If we don't get it by now, I don't know what more he can say. You know? Now, we can suffer the pains and the suffering of our own idiotic choices. Uh, and sometimes we can suffer without knowing it. But God is patiently working in all things for the good. And we'll get to that in a second. But before I go too far with this, one of the things I want to acknowledge, and I struggled with this sermon this week because I know there's a lot of questions about that. You know, which one is it? Which one is it? Does God work in all things for good or do all things work together and turn out good for people who love God? Which one is it? I'm going to tell you right now, we have packed way too much freight on this verse. Have you ever seen that little video where those guys are, are, they got that little donkey with a cart and they keep stacking stuff on the cart and suddenly the cart goes down and the poor little donkey's up in the air? You know, nothing could get done after that. Why? Because you've got the cart too heavy. You've packed too much freight on the wagon. When we pack too much freight on these three verses, we miss what it's trying to say to us. We have put so much freight on this that we think that hidden somewhere in there is the secret to the old problem of why do bad things happen to good people. And quite honestly, Paul and the other writers in the Bible, including and, and even Jesus is just not interested in answering that question for us. In Luke 13, there's a group of people that come to Jesus and they say, listen, those people went up to the temple and Pilate killed them and he mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices. What did they do to upset God? Jesus says, wait a second. What about the people who died in that tower in Siloam when it fell and killed them? Do you think they're any more righteous or sinful than other people he says unless you all repent you won't see the kingdom of heaven Jesus kind of brings it back to the idea that wait wait a second wait a second you don't have to interpret everything through the lens of the fairness of God now this is a good question to ask it's a good question to talk about but it's a question for another day right now some things can be explained some things can't Job wanted God to explain to him why all these things were happening to him. And God said, well, I will. But first, you need to explain some things to me. And I think Job learned to accept that. But this is probably stuff we can talk about at another time. Because, again, I don't know that that, car, that freight is meant to be stacked on this cart. The other thing is we get all worried about the direction of this sentence. Uh, what happens if we do love God and surrender to him, but we aren't predestined? And here's where the P word comes in to bother us. Because if predestination is God with this sort of lottery where you know, he has the secret uh, uh, container that has the names of everybody who wins the heavenly lottery, and you'll never know who it is. And you can surrender yourself to God and you can live such a good life and you can do everything that you were supposed to do. But because God is sovereign, guess what? 
your number just came up the wrong way, and it's off to hell you go. That's not fair. Well, predestination's like that because God's God. All right. And we get all worried about that. Now, people who talk about predestination as a good thing, that's not what they're concerned about. They love the fact that God chooses and takes the initiative. But some of us look at the idea of, wait a second, you know, wait, if I do choose what's right and then God isn't on my side, then that seems unfair. Once again, this is too much freight for this verse. And it's not what it's about. Remember that Paul is writing to a group of people who are struggling and suffering. They are Christians. Many of them are Gentiles. They don't have the heritage that the, that the Jewish Christians do who, uh, who have accepted Jesus as Messiah and they have the stories of faith. These people have been brought into it, as he'll say in later chapters, they've been grafted in like, like branches into an old, old tree. And they're struggling with this. And he's got to give them some kind of reassurance that God is not a fickle God, that God is not a capricious God who one day turns on them and then the next day is all for them, that God is not fortune or misfortune, that God is not fate, but that God is a good God and works in all things ultimately to bring about good. What this verse is about, what it really means, that's what we want to know. And too often we can't hear what it's really saying because of the static and the white noise that's built up around those, those questions that put so much freight on this. But just keep it simple. What, has, what have we been talking about for two weeks? What is the entirety of chapter 8 about? It's about hope. It's about purpose. It's about assurance in the midst of suffering. It's not saying that suffering is God's punishment. It is not saying that suffering means we are far away and abandoned by God. It is saying that even in the midst of that, we have hope and we have purpose. That God is up to something. That God has a plan. God is intentionally working in all things for the good. Now, why do I like that translation, in all things? Because in chapter 8, verse 18, he addressed suffering, and he says that it's there. And he says, I don't think it's even worth comparing to the glory that's going to win out. That in the end, God is going to win all of these things. Yeah, let's take that word predestined off the shelf. I think it's a rather uh, pretentious word that's, that's dripping with doctrine and it's all decorated. It's kind of like me wearing a tuxedo, you know. It's just, it's just too much. It's too much. What, what should it really, really say? How about God meant to? How about God intended? Because that's really what the word, in fact, this, this same word that is translated as those he foreknew or those he predestined. I like it. One of the old interlinears says uh, he predestinated. Um, I don't even know that that's a word in English, but, you know, sounds like something one of our presidents would say, predestinated. And uh, the, uh, that's, that's better than this. But it, that same word is used in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to say, you think ahead about what you're going to give. Just go ahead and intend it. Think about it in your heart. 
did you predestine what you were going to give today when the, when the offering plate came around? I mean, really, was it that magical and cosmic of an event? No. Hopefully you thought about it. We all should think about it. It's just a little bit of pre-planning. That's, what the, that's all that there is to this word. But when you get God doing that, that's huge. That means that God is not some random uh, force that rolls the dice and just decides, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell because I had a good day here and a bad day here. You know, the ancient gods are very capricious like that, the mythological gods. But our God is consistent. He has a plan. He has an intent. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants to adopt everyone. He wants to have his glory fill the entire creation. Um, he and, and by the way, look again at that verse. What he predestined was not salvation. It's there though. But he predestined that we should be conformed to the likeness of his son. That, that means that God's plan all along has been that we will be more like Jesus. And this is very consistent with what we see in chapter 8 where um, we're going to be adopted. And, and as the verse says, uh, Jesus is going to become the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, here, I am, as you well know, uh, bilingual. I speak English and I speak Arkansas. And, and, in, and in Arkansas, you'd say it like this. Boy, God meant to have a great big old family. There you go. He's got, Jesus is the firstborn. He's the eldest brother. And everybody else are kinfolk. There's how you say it. That's what he's getting at. That Jesus is the prototype for the new humanity. He's showing us the way. And this is not random. This is God's purpose. Just like we can give with purpose, God can save and shape and sanctify with purpose. So when he says those he called, he also uh, justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What that means is God has a plan. He has an intentional process where he is bringing us to be more and more like Jesus. And that transformative process is one that we go into with God's help. I want to wrap this up and illustrate it by giving you um, a few pictures from The Night to Shine. Uh, you know, Night to Shine is over, but the glow continues. And you continue to see all these pictures. And sometimes... You see pictures, you may know the context, uh, you may not, but here in this photo, I picked these three because there's some people here that you may recognize. You may recognize uh, some of the reporters from KFSM, and they're there with uh, our friend that we've come to know. His name's Paul. Uh, here are pageant winners. I don't know the names of these little girls, but... Uh, they're all just having a great time. I know some of them up there. Here is a young fellow named Joshua, and this is uh, Kevin. He's the Marine Sergeant in that picture. You know, one of the things that we learn in uh, our training for Night to Shine is, um, you know, how to describe people that people just aren't 
special people or, you know, they're, they're not just handicapped people because that's, that's not everything about them. So we say they're people with some special needs or they're people with Down syndrome or people, you know, whatever it may be. And, and that's not just a, uh, um, a pressure of political correctness. And I'm going to explain to you why it's not. It's, it's meant to see people in a kingdom of God way. And let me, let me tell you why it works. Because you can look at some of the other people in this picture who've accomplished great things, and I'm not taking that away from them. Some of them have worked hard to win those pageants, uh, to build their career. But why do we say successful people, accomplished people? Why don't we simply say people with success, people with accomplishment? I mean, it applies just as well. Because even if you're a successful person, even if you're a pageant winner, even if you're a Marine, you're still a person. And that's who you are. And who you are is defined by what God wants to do in you and through you. And that really makes you no different than the person with special needs. And so that's why I like these three pictures because you have the, uh, the people, of, of you know, from our worldly perspective, we look at them and we can look at them and say, oh, you know, these accomplished, noteworthy people. And, um, and then there's the people with special needs. And we can even do that well-intentioned and with just a little bit of pity or a little bit of patronizing. And, and that's just our worldly perspective. What we, what God is doing in us, what he's, what he's up to, his plan where we're being transformed more and more into the image of his son, is we don't see the kingdoms and institutions of this world anymore. Even the good ones. Even the good ones. We acknowledge them, but that's not reality. We see those as shadows, as temporary decoration. What starts to happen in us is we understand that despite the, stink, the distinctions that we make in this world, God's plan is for every single one of these people, every single one of them in that picture, to be shaped into the image of Christ. That's what he intends with Paul. That's what he intends with Reuben. That's what he intends with Joshua. That's what he intends with Kevin. That's what he intends with every person that you have sitting right next to you today, everybody that you're going to see. No matter how broken, no matter how lost, no matter how successful, no matter how good-looking and accomplished they are, God has the same plan for each and every one of them to be shaped into the image of his son. That's the good that God is working towards. That's the greatest good for anyone. Would you pray with me? Father, teach us to see this world through that inverted lens what we see is upside down is what you see is right side up. And Father, our, our vision has been skewed by sin. Our vision has been skewed by our fallen nature. But Lord, we're so thankful that you, through Jesus Christ, are working in us to pour your glory into us. To, to overwhelm all the evil and the suffering and all the pain in this world with your goodness and glory. And Father, now I ask that we will be a people who are not just comfortable discussing this and talking about this and debating this endlessly, but Father, teach us how to live it out and to show kindness to one another, to show genuine love to others who, 
are on the same journey that we are, maybe at a different place. Some people don't know that you want to shape them into the image of your son. But just because they don't know that or don't acknowledge it doesn't mean that that's not what you want to do. And just because we forget that sometimes doesn't mean that that's not what you want to do. And so help us to see beyond what's on the surface and trust in you more and more as you work in all things for good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we can encourage you in any way today, we're going to have shepherds right down here. They'll pray with you. They'll be back there in room 100. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together.